I love gathering with you guys on Sundays. I'm reminded, I've been thinking a lot lately actually about this verse in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Uh, maybe you know it well. It, it exhorts the church by saying, do not neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some. And if you miss church today and you're watching online or something, it's okay. <laughs> so do not neglect meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What we get to do today is we get to be encouraged by one another as we gather around the name of Jesus. You know, we're to come here with ears to hear what the Spirit is speaking. We're, we're here this morning to have hearts engaged to obey what God's word says. And God is here with us in our midst today. Uh, I sense it. Certainly during worship, God loves to meet with his people. He inhabits the praises of his people. And we're promised in God's word that if we draw near to God, God will draw near to us. And so let's stay in the habit of doing this. Let's stay in the habit of gathering as God's people as we see the return of Jesus drawing near. And so what a blessing it is to gather as the family of God today. That's what we are. And last week, we considered from 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, the time that we are living in. Remember, children, it is the last hour. And we know that we're living in the last hour because deception abounds. But we have, as Christians, we have the word of God and we have the spirit of God dwelling in us to teach us and to guide us in truth. Now, this last hour that we're living in, as we know deception will come and we know that, that we need to stay rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we know that the last hour is this time period between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. Now, the first coming of Jesus was nearly 2,000 years ago when the God of this universe draped himself in humanity and came to this earth. He lived a perfect, sinless life, and he died on a cross for our sins. And then Jesus was raised to glory, and he overcame sin, death, and the devil. Hallelujah. Amen. And since Jesus died and rose again, he now promises eternal life to all who will believe in him. Eternal life, if you believe in Jesus the Son and what he came to do when he came to this earth. And if you believe in God, the Bible says salvation is this free gift that can be received. And, and today, if you're coming here and you haven't received that free gift of salvation, you'll have an opportunity to do that today. To, to know Jesus and to be known by him. Now, Jesus came once to earth, we know that. But we also know that Jesus is coming again. But if Jesus is coming again, why hasn't he come yet? I mean, like, think about it, like, what's he waiting for? Wouldn't it be great if he just were to come? Well, what Jesus is doing, we see in Peter, is that he is patiently waiting for people to come to him for salvation. Uh, so that when Jesus comes, he can gather in all the people who have received so great a salvation. That's what Jesus is doing now. As, as Rob said, he is praying for more people to be drawn into him because salvation is continuing to be extended to all, and he's waiting. He's waiting patiently for you to come. And Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 says this, 
How shall we escape just punishment if we neglect such a great offer of salvation? There's an offer of salvation, and it's given every single day for you to know Jesus, to turn from your sins, and to be reconciled to God. And that's what Jesus came once to do. He came once to save, but Jesus is coming again. And when he comes again, the Bible says that he will judge his enemies. He will also establish an eternal kingdom with every person who has bowed their knee to him. And so the question we have to ask ourselves today is, are we ready for his coming? Have you confessed Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? You know, people sometimes ask, how are you to be ready for the second coming of Jesus? How can you be prepared for that? And the answer is simple. Believe in his first coming. To prepare for the second coming, you must believe in his first coming. And God knows the day that he's going to return, but we don't know that. And so, don't delay. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation because tomorrow is not guaranteed. And so for those of us who've already believed this message, for those of us who call Jesus Lord and Savior, we know that Jesus is coming again, amen? And therefore, amen. Therefore, if we know that Jesus is coming, we know how we ought to live in light of that truth. The Bible says that as Christians, we're to be awake, alert, and abiding in the love of Jesus. Now, before we get into the verses that we're gonna look at today, I just wanna give a real quick and simple reminder, a, a truth for those of us who are believers. You know, from last Sunday to this Sunday, we are one week closer to the return of Jesus. You know, from the start of this service, we're about 30 minutes closer to the return of Jesus. By the end of today's message, we'll be about 30 minutes even closer to the return of Jesus. What I'm saying is that each moment that passes is another moment closer to Jesus coming. See, Paul says it like this in Romans 13, 11, salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Because Paul understood salvation to be at the moment of belief when you confess Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, but he also understood salvation to be at the return of Christ. So every moment that passes is another moment closer to us seeing Jesus. And this is exactly what John is now gonna talk about in our text today. So with your Bibles open to 1 John chapter 2, Starting in verse 28, we're going to make our way down through 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. And we get to see today what John is saying about all this good stuff about Jesus coming. Let's read it. It says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. 
Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for your living word. God, we ask that as we look and gaze into the truth that Jesus, you are coming to this earth again. It's promise, you will come, but the reason you have not come is that you are drawing people to yourself. So God, draw us in today. I pray that every single person who is gathered in this church today would know you and be known by you. God, I pray that we would know that if you are coming, we would live lives that are pure because Jesus, you are pure. Thank you that this truth will purify us. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let me lead off with a question here, which is that what does the truth about Jesus' return do for you? Do you maybe scoff at the idea that Jesus could come today? You know, you heard me talking about he could come any moment. He could come even as we gather during this church service. Do you, do you scoff at that idea? Because Peter says that people in the last days will be scoffers. People will say that Jesus is slow to fulfill his promises. Come on, this has been 2,000 years since those words were first written and Jesus still hasn't come. He's not coming today. Do you scoff at the idea that Jesus could come now? Does the idea of him coming bring fear or shame, because right now you know that you haven't been living as you should in light of the return of Jesus. You haven't been living as you know God has commanded you to live in his word. Or does the truth of Jesus coming back, does it bring comfort and confidence because you're eagerly anticipating the glory that is to be revealed in, and you know, you can't wait to see Jesus face to face. Maybe it's one of those things. Maybe it's a combination of those things. And look, I know that in my life, it really depends on when you ask that question. Are you ready for Jesus to come back? I've been asking myself this all week long. I, I was in the pool with my daughter, Kennedy, and I asked, you know, Jesus could come back today. He could come back any moment. And you know what she said? Oh, I better go clean my room. <laughs> oh, good. We were both laughing so hard. Guys, this is a truth that purifies. If you need a little help with your kids cleaning their rooms, just say, hey, Jesus, can you come back? How do you want him to find your room? So, and she's sitting in the service today because she really wanted to hear this message. So, love you, sweetie. But guys, by the end of today's message, this is our prayer, this is our hope, is that at the return of Jesus, we would have comfort and confidence. And I pray that as believers now that we would be reminded of the manner of living that we ought to have in light of this truth, that Jesus, in his imminent return, it could happen at any moment, how are you living today? And if you came in today, and you came in as a scoffer, I pray that today you would leave as a confessor. 
If today you came in and, and, and you feel disconnected from fellowship with God, you're, you're just thinking, I, I haven't been living as I know I ought to, that today you would hear this message and you would have comfort and confidence, that you would be filled up with the love of God, knowing that he enables you to abide in him. And so let's look now at verse 28 and see again this wonderful truth that's gonna purify us. It says, and now little children abide in him. And I love that John continues to use that word abide. It's the word technion. It's translated, or the word little children, I'm sorry, is the word technion. And the reason I, I like that John keeps calling us little children is because in one sense, it reminds me of my standing in Christ, that, that I need to be his child. It reminds me that I need to continue on towards maturity. In another sense, being a child of God reminds me that I am in a family with you guys. I have brothers and sisters in Jesus that are going to help me and, and walk with me in this journey. And you know, to be in a family, there's three ways that you can be in a family. You can be born into a family, you can be adopted into a family, and you can be married into a family. And we are told in Scripture that all three of those are true in Jesus, which, what does that mean? It means that we are triply secure as God's children. And then he says, now, little children, abide in him. And that word abide is the Greek word meno. It, it means to be at home in. It means to remain in, to be connected to, meaning that we are to be at home in Jesus. And, and when you're in your home, you're comfortable, you're confident, you are your truest self. And that's the way Jesus would want you to be in him. He wants you to be at home in him. We're also told to remain in Jesus, to, to not run ahead or to fall behind, but to remain in connection to him. We're also to be connected in fellowship to him, not to let anything cut in the way of our connection to Jesus. And so if we are abiding in Jesus, then we are told that we are abiding in the Father and the Spirit abides in us. And if we're abiding in Jesus, then the question is, when Jesus comes again, what will be the result? If we're abiding in Jesus, when he comes again, what will be the result? Let's keep reading verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. And notice that this is not a matter of if Jesus comes, but rather it says when Jesus appears. And the exhortation for us is that we would have confidence at his coming, rather than us shrinking back in shame at his coming. We want to have confidence. And the key to this is how are you abiding? The person that is abiding will have confidence when Jesus comes. The person that is not abiding will shrink back when he comes. So how do you want to respond to Jesus when he comes, when he appears? If Jesus were to come back in this moment, we'd be pretty stoked. We're in church right now. We're in the word of God right now. But if he were to come back at another moment, perhaps at a moment that you're not quite abiding as you know you ought to, what will be your response? You see, the key is to abide now because that will determine how we respond then when he comes. 
And look, John is speaking to the little children. These are Christians that John is talking to. Meaning that among believers, when Jesus returns, there will be those who are abiding and they will be confident. And there will be those who are not abiding and they will shrink back. There will be those who are expectant. And there will be those who are surprised. And John says that we can have confidence when Jesus comes. Notice how the text says, we. Notice that John says, we. Because John understood his own need to abide. He says, we, because John realizes that as Christians, even for himself, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, we have a tendency to drift, to wander, to get disconnected, to run ahead, to fall behind. He realizes that even for himself, an apostle of Jesus Christ, abiding is not something that comes automatically, but it's something that requires care and attention. We're in a relationship with God. That's what it means to abide, to be in a relationship with God. And look, Christians, little children, we need to be reminded that if we do not give our relationships the attention and the care that they require, then they're not going to be all that they can be. So this goes for your relationship with your wife, with your kids, with your friends, and it certainly has to do with your relationship with God. So brothers and sisters, the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we abiding in him so that we can be confident that our relationship with him is everything that it can be. When Jesus comes, how do you want him to find you? We know that Christians are to be walking in the light and not darkness. We know that as Christians, we are to be loving people and not hating people. We know that as Christians, we are to be following truth and not error, meaning that as Christians, we are to be active in light love, and truth, so that when he comes, is this how he will find us? So that we will be confident that we were living the way that Jesus told us to live when he left the earth. Are you walking in the light as he is in the light? Are you loving? Are you following the truth? Are you abiding in that place? Now, this is not to say that we have no sin. We'd be lying if we said we had no sin. We'd be lying if we said we always abide perfectly. See, God will keep you in his love. He will. He, and those whom uh, the Father has given to Jesus, he will by no means lose. But Jude also says, keep yourself in the love of God. God will keep you in his love, but you also have to keep yourself in your love. It's a relationship. Relationship requires care and attention. Now, if we love Jesus, don't we want him to come at a time when we are active in righteousness rather than while we are active in sin? Remember how in chapter two, verse one, John said this. He said, I write these things to you that you may not sin. Jesus could come at any moment, and this is a truth that will purify us. When we talked about 
I write these things to you so that you may not sin. We talked about having a greater affection that's gonna expel other affections for sin. Uh, desire Jesus more than you would desire your sin. That's one way to overcome temptation to sin. You wanna know another great way to overcome temptation? Is to think about what if Jesus were to come back in the moment of my sin? As you are being tempted and as you're thinking, should I do this or should I not do this? Before you engage in that sin, would you ask yourself the question, what if Jesus were to come back in the moment that I am actively engaged in that sin? That will purify you. You know, the word imminent, when we talk about the imminent return of Jesus, it means that it could happen at any moment. There's nothing holding Jesus back from him coming at any moment. It's imminent. That word imminent means to hang over your head. Let that truth loom over your head, not as a burden to fear. We don't want to have this looming imminent fear over us, although there's this healthy reverence and fear of the Lord, but we are to be reminded of this imminent love that when Jesus appears, we want to be confident when he comes. Therefore, abide. Therefore, remain with Jesus because the second coming is one of the most sanctifying truths that you can see in Scripture. That word sanctify just simply means to make you more holy, to make you more like Jesus, which we all know is a process. See, the hope of Jesus' coming will purify us. It's gonna make you more holy if you constantly have that awareness before you. So now let's look at verse 29. It says, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And so John is still talking to the little children, and he says, if you know that he is righteous, and the kind of knowing that John has been talking about throughout 1 John is the knowledge that comes by experience, this experiential knowledge that you know that you know that you know that God is light and in him is no darkness. You know that you know that you know that God is love and you have received that great love. You know that God is truth because the spirit abides in you and he is your teacher of truth. You know by experience as John has been talking about light, love, and truth throughout this book, you know that because you have experienced God. And if you have experienced God, then you will know that God is righteous. He is righteous. And if you've experienced the righteousness of Jesus, here's what you've also experienced. You've experienced knowing that you have become the righteousness of God in Jesus, that his righteousness was given to you. You will know that an exchange happened at the cross. Because of the cross, you are now the righteousness of God in Jesus. And if you know this, then John is saying, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. What is John saying here? Well, I like to say it like this, and, and, and this is um, maybe worry, but this is how I like to think about this. Those who are positionally righteous in Jesus will be practically righteous. Let me explain this. The simple gospel is that God sent forth his son to die on a cross, to be a substitute for our sins. If you've received that, you know that you've experienced that. God took 
your unrighteousness. He took your sin and he placed it on Jesus at the cross, meaning that Jesus took the position of a sinner. And then God took the righteousness of Jesus and he placed it on you so that as a born again child of God, you have come to the position of righteousness. Positionally, because of the cross, you are in right standing with God. Jesus died for your sins and thus removed it and gave you his righteousness. His righteousness was freely given to you so that you can now freely live it out. What was his has now become yours. He was righteous. And now that's your righteousness, meaning that you can now live righteously. And by living righteously, you will thus show that you are indeed born of God. See, if you are a child of God, then your practice will match your position. The direction of your life will match up in these areas. You will live a righteous life because you are the righteousness of God in Christ. I've said it like this recently, if you've been born of God, if you have a relationship with Jesus, then you will have the family resemblance. You will live like Jesus lived, you will look like your brother Jesus, you will grow more and more into his image as you follow him. You know, last week, uh, my son Knox, he was wearing this thing called a a sleep sack that all of our kids have worn when when they were babies. And I saw him, and he was sleeping in this green sleep sack with his arms up over his head. And I could remember every single one of my kids sleeping that way with, you know, the cute little round face. And just, they looked, it was like the, the, the hair color, the shape of the face, the, the sleep sack that every single one of them has worn. I said, man, that's my son. He has the family resemblance. And so if you've been born into the family of God, here's the truth, my friends. You have been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You are in the sleep sack of his righteousness. You wear his righteousness. And if you are in that, not only that, but you have been transformed, meaning the path and the pattern of your life will actually be to practice righteousness. And listen carefully to what I am saying. We don't behave to become God's children. That's religion. But because we have become God's children, we will behave as God's children. That's relationship. John has been saying plainly in this letter that if you say you know him, but you do not keep his commandments, then you are lying. If you say that you abide in Jesus, then you ought to walk in the same way that Jesus walked. Now, before we despair, before we, we just throw up our hands, because all of us know that we could do better, amen? amen. All of us, uh, we can hear a pin drop, because we are all understanding that we could live more like Jesus. We could walk more in obedience to his righteousness. But, but guys, even when our practice is off, 
even when we are not living as we should, it will never change your position as a child of God in the family of God. And if you're thinking too much right now about how much you want to love God with your obedience, which is a good thing, I want to love God, I want to serve God, I want to live a righteous life, and that is a good desire to have. But before we despair, because we always know we could do more, let's think about how God has loved us in spite of our obedience. When we were disobedient, God loved us because the order is crucial and the difference is the difference between religion and relationship. The wrong order of these truths is legalism and the right order is abiding. We love because he first loved us. And so look at John chapter three, verse one to get our eyes off of ourselves for a moment and let's look at God's love. It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are, or and so we are. I have to read it from another translation. The New King James Version, I think, puts this verse beautifully. It says, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. ESV says, given, but, or, or, or to see rather, but I, I like the word behold, because this isn't something that we're supposed to casually glance at. You don't casually glance at the love of God. We are meant to behold, to fix our eyes on it, and to gaze upon it, and what are we seeing? We are seeing a love that is a kind of love or a manner of love. And that word kind or manner has the idea of a foreign thing. This is something that you have never even seen before. Your eyes have never beheld something so amazing. This is a sight that we are meant to be mesmerized over because there's just nothing like it in this world. It is a foreign thing. And and what is this strange and foreign thing that we're beholding? It's the love of the Father. The love of the Father, this unconditional, sacrificial, selfless, and all-consuming love of the Father. Friends, there are not enough words in the English language to describe to you today how incredible the love of the Father is. It's just something that you have to behold and you will never come to the end of this kind of love. You'll go as high and as low and as far and as wide to search out the love of the Father, and still there is more to discover. Now, this isn't isn't just a love, right? This isn't just a love just to kind of step back and be mesmerized over. This isn't a love that, you know, you kind of go into a museum and you kind of just stand back and keep your distance and you know, look with your eyes and not with your hands. This is a love that, remember, the Father manifested to us, that John was able to say, I beheld this love. I handled this love with my hands, this manifest love of the Father when Jesus, the Son of God, came in the flesh to declare and to demonstrate and to deliver the Father's love to us. And this is the love of the Father that he has bestowed on us. He has given Jesus. ESV says given. I I prefer the word bestow, or your translation might say lavished, because God wasn't like, 
Here, come here. I got a little something to give you. There you go. It's like he lavished his love upon us. He bestowed, meaning just without measure, endlessly pouring out this love upon us. And what is this love? What, what does John point to, to to just show the reality of the Father's love? It says there that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. I'm a son of God. I'm a son of God. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. We are the children of God. We are God's family of the greatest kind of love. And and you know, think about it. God could have just had pity on us as sinners when he decided to save us. You know, he could have said, you know, come here, I got something to give you. I'm going to take away your sins. Now you're saved, but keep your distance from me. And, And in a sense, right, that would have been a kind of love that, in a sense, to think of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man, that would have been a kind of love that would have been entirely sufficient, but God lavished his love upon us. He bestowed his love on us, not only by purchasing out uh, us out of slavery to sin, but welcomed us into the fellowship of his own family. God said, come abide in me. Come and be at home with me, with my family. You are my child. And this is a profound truth that we cannot grow cold of hearing. When you hear, like, like, like when you hear Jesus died for your sins, I, I said last week, does that still hit you? Does that still move you? When I say, you're God's child, you're a son of God, you're a daughter of God, does that still move you? That's what it means to abide, to still be moved by the Father's love, that we are God's children, that is what we are, and it's something for us to continually behold the kind of love that the Father has shown. In Romans chapter 8, verse 16 says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. What a privilege it is, church, to be able to call God Papa or Daddy. Whatever you called your earthly father, which is, you know, our earthly fathers are insufficient to show this kind of fatherly love that God has bestowed on us. But, but whatever intimate sense that you would call a father, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are that kind of child to God that we belong to him in that kind of way, that we belong to a new family in Jesus. We have come from the family of Adam and we are now in the family of Jesus. The world is still in the sway of the devil and we have been swept up in the love of the Father. And this is why we are foreign. This is why we are foreign to the world because we have received a foreign love. The kind of love that God gives Everyone, listen, the kind of love that God gives is different than what you will find in the world. You'll find nothing like it. The world does not recognize God's love. It just doesn't. That's why we're called to be ambassadors, because we represent a foreign love, and we, we love this world as God loves it, hoping to see that more people would come to this truth.
I was convicted by this quote I read it, and I couldn't find the, who it was attributed to, but it said, Believer, don't complain about what the world is coming to. Proclaim the one who is coming to this world. That convicted me. Listen, there are people perishing in this world because they don't know the love that we have. We have to tell them and we have to show them. We have to, we have to go and give this message to the world even if they reject our message because the greatest way that God knows how to tell the world that he loves them is what he did by giving his son to die on a cross. There's no greater way that God can demonstrate to anyone how much he loves. And so the world has to either receive Jesus and what he did on the cross, therefore receive the Father's love, or they will reject Jesus and reject what Jesus did at the cross and therefore will not have this love. To reject this love is to reject Jesus, and to reject Jesus is to reject the Father, which means you don't know God. They don't know God, and therefore they don't know us. And why should we be surprised as if as, if as children of God, the world does not know us? Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 16, the one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. He also said in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. And, and then look with me at verse two as we continue on. It says, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. What John's doing is he's drawing our thoughts back to the soon coming of Jesus. And he's saying, know who you are. Know that you're children of God and abide in that place. But there's still coming a time when Jesus is coming. He says, beloved, know who you are. Know how loved you are, but as God's children, that's what we are now. That is the profound and humbling truth. But just when you had your minds blown with that truth, it takes it even further and it says, we are God, God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. Right now, I am doing my very best with the word of God and the spirit of God to try to convince you of the Father's love, to know how incredible it is to be God's children, to be reminded and awakened again and to abide in that place as God's loved children. But there's coming a time, everyone, when what I am so desperately trying to do will not even be necessary anymore because we have this eternal promise for believers. There's a heavenly promise that, that right now we groan in these bodies, but we will be glorified. Right now we are being sanctified, we are being transformed into Jesus. We still struggle with sin and we still wrestle with the things of this world, but there's coming a time when there will be no more sin, there will be no more death, we will be with God, we will be in our glorified bodies, and, and what we will be like is not even fully known yet. And so there's this groaning within us, like to be further clothed in that glory. 
We have been clothed in righteousness now. We, we wear the righteousness of Christ now, but we're just desperately trying to get our practice to match our position, and it's hard. And we live in this world, and we wrestle, and we, we can't wait to put on this heavenly dwelling where death is swallowed up in life, where Ben doesn't have a hard week like he had this week where we're just simply in the presence of the Lord and we anticipate that day with eager expectation. And as you get older and as you mature in the love of Jesus, your desire and your longing for that is meant to grow deeper day by day, that each passing moment should create an even more longing to be with him. But right now we live in this now and not yet tension. We know that right now we're God's children, fully loved, fully embraced by God, but there is still a salvation that is coming that has not yet appeared. And Paul, when he talks in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says that right now we see in a mirror dimly. We see it in like a polished piece of metal. It's kind of blurry and fuzzy, but then we will see face to face. He says in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul had this experience that's really interesting to read about where he was caught up to heaven and whether in the body or out of the body, he didn't, know, he didn't even know, but God knows. And, and the things that he heard in heaven were too sacred for words, things that man is not permitted to tell. And, and all that we have now cannot compare to what we will be then. We're just doing our very best right now, like to be God's children, to be the family of God, to be God's kingdom citizens here on earth. But man, I can't just, I can't wait to be in the kingdom of heaven. And until then, we live in that now and not yet tension where we're praying, God, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. God, let, let, let me manifest your love like you manifested the love of God. We live in that tension and it's hard. It's not always easy. It's not always easy to abide. But we are called to abide because when we know, second half of verse two, but we know, like we don't know what we will be. Heaven is gonna be so far surpassing anything you ever thought it would be. But what we do know is that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We know that he will appear, right? We, there's no question about that if you're a Christian. This isn't like a secondary doctrine. <laughs> He's coming back. And when he appears, we will be like him. And right now, the will of God for your life as a believer, if you call yourself a Christian, the will of God for you right now is that you would look more and more like Jesus every day. Romans 8.29 says that we are being conformed into the image of his son. I love this old hymn that says, take the world and give me Jesus. In his cross my trust shall be till with clear, brighter vision, face to face, my Lord I see. You know, the woman who wrote that hymn was born blind. And in an interview, she was asked, would you wanna, you know, in this life be healed of your blindness? And she says, no. And Pressed further, why don't you want to be healed of your blindness now? She says, because I'm so excited that the first thing I ever see is Jesus' face. Because right now, we groan in these bodies that are wasting away. We live in this fallen state, but what we will be, we don't even know. 
what we will see, what we will behold with these eyes. That's our confident hope. So whether I die or he comes first, I will see Jesus. And my whole life is set on that one thing. My whole life right now is just trying to see Jesus more clearly every single day until I see him as clear as day, face to face. Do you want to see Jesus when you die? Do you want to see Jesus when he comes back and have confidence at his coming? Do you want that? And look, I'm not even asking if you want to go to heaven. That's the blessing and the benefit of knowing Jesus is you get to go to heaven. But here's a sobering question, a thought-provoking question, is if you were to go to heaven and Jesus wasn't there, would you still want to be there? See, because heaven is seeing Jesus. Heaven is being with God. And if God were not in heaven, that's, that's not heaven. And, and the opposite of heaven, hell, is the absence of God. God's not there. So if you want to be with Jesus in heaven, then now in this life, you'll want to be with him now. You'll want to abide in him now so that the eternal life you're living now, the abiding place you're living now, when you get to eternity, when you're in heaven, it's just a continuation and a, and a fulfillment of all that you've been living for now. And if you don't want God in your life now, if you don't want him around, you want to keep him at a distance and you want him far from you, not meddling in your business, then when you die or when Jesus comes back, then it's just going to be a continuation of that. Because hell is just the absence of Jesus. If you don't want Jesus, that's what hell is. And so the difference is, do you want Jesus? Do you want to see Jesus? Do you want to know Jesus? Do you want to abide in him? Because your eternal standing will be how, how much do you want him now? Do you see him now? And if, and if you even just see him in the littlest bit, I see Jesus and I see what he did on the cross for me. I believe that he rose from the dead to give me eternal life because I've never been able to live this life how God would intend me to live it. And you put your hope and your trust in Jesus, then you will be saved. Verse three says, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We will be fully pure one day. We will be in the presence of God, but until then, we are not fully pure. And it just is coming to abiding if you know that Jesus could come back today, what are the things today in your life that you know you need to change? What is the place of abiding that you need to come to today to be reminded that as he appears, I will have hope and confidence that is coming? Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this time. Oh, man, I really wish you came back in the middle of the message. That would have been so cool, Lord. And Lord, you know my feeble attempts to make you clear. God, how much I wanted to teach this truth to your church today so that they would see you and abide in you, God. And, and I can't make that happen for anyone else. That, that needs to be something between them and you, God. So thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here in our midst right now and you are convicting us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin is the truth about us. We're sinners. 
Righteousness is the truth about you. You are perfect. And judgment is when those two truths come together. Thank you for those of us who believe in you. Our sin was judged at the cross. But if, if there's anyone here today who has not trusted in you, then, then they will be judged for their sins. And, and, and if we reject so great an offer of salvation, like how, how could we even stand before you? So God, I pray that all here today would know and see you, Jesus, for who you are and for what you've done, that we would become your righteousness, that we would then live out practically the righteousness of God to show that we truly indeed have been born of him. We pray it all in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, church, I know that today's message was a, a it's a big truth, one that will sit heavy and make you contemplate where you are right now. And, and if, if today you've heard this message and you, you say, I, I have not trusted in Jesus yet. I, I'm not, I, before today, I wasn't ready for his second coming because I haven't received his first coming. If today you wanna receive the first coming of Jesus and, and you want to come forward, and this is what we're gonna do today because every week we've been giving an invitation for people to receive Jesus. And we're gonna, we're gonna lead off in a song, it's called, Oh Come to the Altar. And this is sort of an altar. This, an altar is a picture of sacrifice, a picture of surrender. And, and just come up next to the pumpkin patch and, and you're just gonna come and you're gonna, you're gonna be prepared uh, to receive Jesus at, at his first, first coming. If you confess Jesus before men, Jesus said, I will confess you before my Father who's in heaven. Jesus, descended all the way from heaven to earth to save you. You can move up from your seat and come to the front so that we could lead you in a prayer of salvation so that we could walk with you and abide with you. And, and then the altar is also gonna be open for everyone here today who would say, you know, I haven't been living as I know I ought in light of these truths. I know that if Jesus were to come back today, man, I would shrink back because I haven't been living as I know I should. I've received Jesus, I know what it means to believe upon Christ, but my life doesn't look like anything righteous. If today you wanna repent, if today you wanna confess your sins and draw near to God so that God will draw near to you and you wanna abide and get connected to that place again, you too come forward and, and, and bring it to the altar. And so we're gonna lead off in this song and I'm gonna stay up here and at different points of the song, we'll, we'll see what God does and how his spirit leads in this time, amen? Amen, let's do it. Let's all stand together. And, and if somebody needs to get out from their seat, just let them through, you know? And, and don't hesitate. If God's stirring in your heart, if his spirit is moving in you to abide deeper in him, then, and then come and bring it to the altar. Amen? Let's worship.